Section four of the McDermott's of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The McDermott's of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section four. Miles Usher. Everyone knows that Ireland, for her sins, maintains two distinct, regularly organized bodies of police. The duties of the one being to prevent the distillation of poteen, or illicit whiskey, those of the other to check the riots created by its consumption. These forces, for they are in fact military forces, have each their officers, sub-officers, and privates, as the army has, their dress, full-dress, and half-dress, their arms field arms and house arms their barracks stations and military regulations their captains colonels and commanders-in-chief but called by other names and in fact each body is a regularly disciplined force only differing from the standing army by being carried on in a more expensive manner the first of these that for preventing the distillation of poteen commonly called the revenue police was at the time of our story honoured by the services of miles usher he held the office of one of the sub-inspectors in the county of Leitrim, and he resided in the town of mohill he had a body of about five-and-twenty men under him with a sergeant and his duty was as i have before said to prevent the distillation of poteen this was only to be done by seizing it when made or in the process of making and as a considerable portion of the fine levied in all cases possible from the dealers in the trade became the perquisite of the sub-inspector or officer effecting the seizure the situation in a wild lawless district was one of considerable emolument consequently gentlemen of repute and good family were glad to get their sons into the service and at the present time a commission in the revenue police is considered if not a more fashionable at any rate a more lucrative appointment than a commission in the army among these officers some of course would be more active than others and would consequently make more money but it will be easily imagined that however much the activity of a sub-inspector of revenue police might add to his character and standing at headquarters it would not be likely to make him popular in the neighbourhood in which he resided miles usher was most active in the situation which he filled whether an impartial judge would have said that he was too much so would be a question difficult to settle as i have no impartial judge on the subject to whom i can refer but the persons among whom he lived thought that he was at the time i allude to about ten years ago a great deal of whiskey was distilled in the mountains running between the counties of leitrim and cavan and in different parts of the county leitrim father matthew's pledge was then unknown the district is a wild country not much favoured by gentlemen's residences and very poor and although it may seem to be an anomaly it will always be found to be the case that the poorer the people are the more they drink and consequently captain usher as he was usually called in the neighbourhood found sufficient occupation for himself and his men now the case is different the revenue police remain but their duties have in most districts gone and they may be seen patrolling the roads with their officers accompanying them being bound to walk so many miles a day 
It is very seldom one hears of their effecting a seizure, and their inactivity is no doubt owing to the prevalence of Father Matthew's pledge of total abstinence. Miles Usher was a Protestant, from the county Antrim in the north of Ireland, the illegitimate son of a gentleman of large property, who had procured him the situation which he held. He had been tolerably well educated, that is, he could read and write sufficiently, understood somewhat of the nature of figures, and had learned, and since utterly forgotten, the Latin grammar. He had natural abilities somewhat above par, was good-looking, strongly made, and possessed that kind of courage which arises more from animal spirits, and from not having yet experienced the evil effects of danger, than from real capabilities of enduring its consequences. Miles Usher had never yet been hit in a duel, and would therefore have no hesitation in fighting one. He had never yet been seriously injured in riding, and would therefore ride any horse boldly. He had never had his head broken in a row, and therefore would readily go into one. He cared little for bodily pain if it did not incapacitate him. Little, at least, for any pain he had as yet endured, and his imagination was not strong enough to suggest any worse evil. And this kind of courage, which is the species by far most generally met with, was sufficient for the life he had to lead. But the quality in which Usher chiefly excelled, and which was most conducive to give him the character which he certainly held in the country for courage, talent, and gallantry, was his self-confidence and assurance. He believed himself inferior to none in powers of body and mind, and that he could accomplish whatever he perseveringly attempted. He had, moreover, an overwhelming contempt for the poor, amongst whom his duties so constantly brought him, and it is not, therefore, wonderful that he was equally feared and execrated by them. I should also state that Miles Usher had had sagacity enough to keep some of the money which he had received, and this added not a little both to his reputation and standing in the country, and also to the real power which he possessed, for in Connaught ready money is scarce, and its scarcity creates its importance. This, then, was Feemy's lover, and she certainly did love him dearly. He had all the chief ornaments of her novel heroes. He was handsome, he carried arms, was a man of danger, and talked of deeds of courage. He wore a uniform, he rode more gracefully, talked more fluently, and seemed a more mighty personage than any other one whom Feemy usually met. Besides, he gloried in the title of captain, and would not that be sufficient to engage the heart of any girl in Feemy's position, let alone any Irish girl, to whom the ornaments of arms were always dear? But whether he loved her as truly might, I fear, be considered doubtful. If so, why were they not married? Larry MacDermot was too broken-hearted a man, and too low-spirited, to have objected to Miles on the ground of his being a Protestant. It was not that he was indifferent about his religion, but he had not heart enough left to be energetic on any subject. In other respects, Miles was more than a match for his daughter, in the present fallen condition of the family, but the matter had not even been mentioned to him by his daughter or her lover. Usher was constantly at Ballycloran, was in the habit of riding over from Mohill only three miles, almost daily when disengaged, 
giving his horse to Patsy, the only male attendant at Ballycloran, and staying the whole morning or the evening there without invitation. And Larry, if he never seemed particularly glad, at any rate never evinced any dislike to his visits. Whatever war the sub-inspector might wage against run spirits in the mountains and bogs, he always appeared on good terms with it at Ballycloran, and as the McDermott's had but little else to give in the way of hospitality, this was well. Young Thady could not but see that his sister was attached to Usher, but he knew that she could not do better than marry him, and if he considered much about it, he thought that she was only taking her fun out of it, as other girls did, and that it would all come right. Thady was warmly attached to his sister. He had had no one else really to love. He was too sullen at his prospects, too gloomy from his situation, to have chosen for himself any loved one on whom to expend his heart. He was of a disposition too saturnine, though an Irishman, to go and look for love when it did not fall in his way, and all that he had to give he gave to his sister. But it must be remembered that poor Thady had no refinement, how should he? And though he would let no one injure Feemy if he could help it, he hardly knew how effectually to protect her. His suspicions were now aroused by his counsellor Pat Brady, but the effect was rather to create increased dislike in him against Usher than to give rise to any properly concerted scheme for his sister's welfare. On the evening previous to the fair at Mohill mentioned in the last chapter, Captain Usher, with a party of his men, had succeeded in making a seizure of some half-malted barley in a cabin on the margin of a little lake on the low mountains, which lay between Mohill and Cashcarrigan. He had, as in these cases was always his practice, received information from a spy in his pay, who accompanied him, dressed as one of his own men to prevent any chance of his being recognized this man's name was cogan and he had been in the habit of buying illicit whiskey from the makers at a very cheap rate and carrying it round to the farmers houses and towns for sale whereby he obtained considerable profit but at considerable risk with this employment captain usher had made himself acquainted and instead of seizing the man whilst in possession of the whiskey he had sounded him, and finding him sufficiently a villain, had taken him into his pay as a spy. This trade Cogan found more lucrative even than the former, but also more dangerous, as if detected he might reckon on his death as certain. He still continued to buy the spirits from the people, but in smaller quantities. He offered lower prices, and though he nominally kept up the trade, it was more for the purpose of knowing where the poteen was, than of buying and selling it it was not wonderful therefore that more seizures than ever had been lately made and that the men were getting more cautious and at the same time more irate and violent in their language in the present instance the party had come on the cabin in question unawares not that they might not have been noticed but that the people were confident of not being suspected no whiskey had been run there and the barley had only lately been brought in to have kishes from another cabin where it was not thought to be safe three men and an old woman were found in the cabin when captain usher entered with three of his own men on being questioned they denied the existence of either whiskey malt or barley but on searching the illicit article was found in the very kishes in which it had been brought 
they were easily discovered shoved into the dark chimney corner farthest from the door that i may never see the light began the old woman if i thought it were anything but the turf and jist the kishes that barney smith left there the morn and he say nothing of the barley and bring all these troubles on me and yehona the like of him the spalpeen never mind my trouble my dear said usher it is little we think of the trouble of easing you and who's barney smith ma'am oh then barney's just my daughter's own son and he coming down from the mountains with turf and said he must lave the kishes here till he just went back round Loch Sheen with the ass he'd borrowed from Paddy Byrne, and he'd be, and very good-natured it was of him to leave you the malt instead of the turf. And who are you, my good men? The men had continued smoking their pipes quietly at the fire without stirring. We be strangers here, Your Honour, said one. That is, not strangers just, but we don't live here, Your Honour. Where do you live, and what's your names? I and Joe Smith lived just lived down the way just on the road to Cash, about half a mile out of this, and Tim Reynolds he lives away at Drumleash on Mr McDermott's land, and my name's Paddy Byrne. Oh oh, so one of you is father of the lad who brought the donkey, and the other the owner of it, and you neither of you knew it was in the kishes. Sorrow I know, your honour. You see Barney brought them down here with from the mountains when we weren't in it. And it was some of the boys up there was getting him to get away the malt unknownst, hearing of your honour, maybe. Ah, yes, I see. Whose land is this on? Councillor Webb's, your honour. Who holds the cabin and potato garden? I do, your honour. Just for my wife's mother, you see. But I live down towards Cash. Ah, very good-natured of you to your wife's mother. I hope the three of you have no objection to take a walk to Mohill this evening. Oh, Colonel, Colonel, ruined will be, Your Honour, and that I may never see the light if the boys knew it, and Your Honour wouldn't have the death of an old woman on ye, the old woman was exclaiming, while the police began seizing the malt and making prisoners of the men. Carol, see and get an ass to put these kishes on, said Usher. Colleen, put a rope across these fellows' arms. I suppose they'll go quiet. It was now full time for the men to arise when they found that the rope was to be fastened across their arms which meant that a rope was to be fastened on the right arm of one, passed behind his back, fastened to the arm of the second, and so behind his back, to the third. Smith and Byrne, the former of whom, in spite of his protestations to the contrary, was the inhabitant of the cabin, had given the matter up as lost, but as the other, Tim Reynolds, did in fact reside at Drumleash, he thought he might still show some cause why he should not be arrested for visiting his friend Joe Smith. Your Honour won't be after taking an innocent boy like me, began Tim, that knows nothing at all at all about it. Sure, Your Honour knows the master, Master Tady, down at Ballycloran. He will tell Your Honour I had nothing in life to do in it. Then you don't know yourself I live with Joe Reynolds down at Drumleash, and were only up here just gagging with the old woman and the boys, and knew nothing in life. How could I about the malt, Captain Usher? Oh, no, Mr. Reynolds, of course you could not. How could you, as you justly observe, particularly being the brother of that inoffensive character, Mr. Joe Reynolds, and you living too on Mr. McDermott's property? You and your brother never ran whiskey at Drumleash, I suppose. Why should a tenant of the McDermott's escape any more than one of Councillor Webb's? No, Your Honour, and course not. Only you being so thick with the master and that like, and have he spake a good word of me, and why shouldn't he? 
and i knowing nothing at all about it perhaps your honour i'm sorry mr reynolds i cannot oblige you in this little matter but that's not the way i do business come along killeen hurry it's getting damn cold in here with this captain usher walked out of the cabin and the two men followed each having an end of the rope smith and byrne followed doggedly but silently but poor reynolds though no lawyer could not but feel that he was unjustly treated and i will go to jail then just for coming up to see old widow byrne captain yes mr reynolds as far as i can foresee you will then captain asher it's you'll be sorry for the day you were treating that way an innocent boy that knows nothing at all all about it do you mean to be threatening me you ruffian no captain asher i doesn't threaten you but there is them as does and it's this day's work or this night's that's all the same will be the black night work to you it's the like of you that makes ruffians of the boys about they isn't left the mains of living not even of getting the dry praties and when they tries to make out the rint with the whiskey which is not for themselves but for them as is your own friends you hunts them through the mountains and bogs like worried foxes and not only that but for them as does it and them as does not be doing it is all the same and it's little the master or for the like of that the master's daughter either will be getting from being so thick with such as you harrying and seizing his tenants just for your own fun and diversion mind i'm not threatening you captain usher but it's little good you or them as is in ballycloran will be getting for the work you're doing now what are you pulling at mister you think i can walk of myself without your hauling and pulling like a gossoon at a pig's hind leg the last part of tim's eloquence was addressed to the man who held the foremost end of the rope and who was following his officer at a rapid pace captain usher made no further answer to his remonstrating prisoner but marched on rapidly towards carrick after the advance party with whom was cogan the informer he after having pointed out the cabin of course did not wait to be recognized by its occupiers this capture was the subject of the discussion held on the fair day at mulready's whiskey shop in mohill at which joe reynolds the prisoner's brother had presided as brady informed thady mcdermott or at any rate had taken the most noisy part to tell the truth our friend pat himself had been present all the evening at mulready's and if he had not talked so loud he had said full as much as joe the latter was naturally indignant at the capture of his brother who in fact at the time was living in his cabin though he did hold an acre or two of ground in the same townland as joe smith and the widow byrne he was not however engaged in the potine making there and though at the moment of the entrance of the police the party were all talking of the malt which had in fact been brought from byrne's cabin to that of his mother and brother-in-law reynolds had really nothing to do with the concern his known innocence made the party more indignant and they consequently swore that among them it put an end to our poor friend usher or as joe reynolds expressed it will hold him till there aren't a bit left in him to hole now for the benefit of the ignorant i may say that holing a man means putting a bullet through him the injuries done by the police were not however the only subject discussed at mulready's that night ribbonism about eighteen thirty blank was again becoming very prevalent in parts of ireland 
at any rate so said the stipendiary magistrates and the inspectors of police and if they said true county leitrim was full of ribbon men and no town so full as mohill consequently the police sub-inspector of ballinamore captain greenough had his spies as well as captain usher and joe reynolds was a man against whom secret information had been given joe was aware that he was a marked man and consequently if not actually a ribbon man was very well inclined to that or anything else which might be inimical to jails policemen inspectors gaugers or any other recognized authority in fact he was a reckless man originally rendered so by inability to pay high rent for miserably bad land and afterwards becoming doubly so from having recourse to illegal means to ease him of his difficulties he and many others in the neighbourhood of mohill somewhat similarly situated had joined together bound themselves by oaths and had determined to become ribbon men their chief objects however at present were to free themselves from the terrors of captains usher and greenough and to prevent their landlords ejecting them for non-payment of rent it would be supposed a man of pat brady's discernment station and character would not have wished to belong to or have been admitted by so desperate a society but he nevertheless was not only one of them but one of their leaders and it can only be supposed that he had his raisins all these things were fully talked over at mulready's that night the indignities offered to humanity by police of every kind the iniquities of all protestants the benefits likely to accrue to mankind from an unlimited manufacture of potine and the injustice of rents were fully discussed on the latter head certainly brady fought the battle of his master and not unsuccessfully but not on the heads that he had a right to his own rents but what he was to do about flannelly if he did not get them and sure boys what would the old master do and what would mr tady do without the rint among ye an old flannelly dunning about him with his bonds and his bills and mortgages how'd you like to see the good old blood that's in it now driven out by the likes of flannelly and keegan and them to be masters in ballycloran that's all very well pat and we'd be sorry to see harem come to mr larry and the young masters along of such born robbers as them but is them dearer to us than our own flesh and blood as long as they and the like o' them stand between us and want the divil a keegan o' them all dare put a foot in ballycloran but who is it now rules all at ballycloran who but the bloody robber asher they go through the country for him the born ruffian may food choke him and he making little of them all the time bad manners to the like of him they say he never called an honest woman his mother will i mr brady be giving my blood for them and he putting my brother in jail and all for sitting up warming his shins at loch sheen no may this be my curse if i do and joe reynolds swallowed a glass of whiskey and you may tell mr tady pat that if he wants the boys to stick to him let him stick to them and not be helping a de ruffian to be driving the lives out of them he should be friend and maybe he will want us and that soon and if he'll stick to us now as his fathers always did sure it's little he need be fearing flannelly and keegan by gee the first foot they set in ballycloran they shall leave there for ever 
if Lady Macdermot will help rid his father's land of that bloody ruffian. It's little Mr. Thady loves the captain, Joe, and it's little he ever will, I think. However, you can come up, you know, on Friday, and say your own say about your brother, and the rint, and all. And so I will come, Pat, but there's all the rint I have, and Mrs. Mulready, I think, will have the best part of that. And he jingled a few half-pence in his pocket. So ended the meeting previous to the conversation in McDermott's rent office. End of chapter 4